conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York. Hello and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. This is Herschel York. I'm Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm also pastor of the Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfurt. Pastor Well is dedicated to helping those who serve the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in ministry. We do that by interesting conversations with servants of the Lord that can encourage and inspire us. And our guest today is Dan Darling, who is one of the most multi-talented people I think I have ever met. Dan uh, is the Vice President of uh, Communications for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And in fact, we are on location. We are coming to you from the studios of the ERLC in Nashville, Tennessee, where it is my privilege to talk to Dan. He is the author of several books, uh, and his most recent book, I'm interested in talking about this, uh, is uh, The Characters of Christmas. Now, Dan, let me just dive in right here. The President of the United States tweeted something about your book. I know. It was wild. What happened? Tell us about it. So I'm just, you know, it's it's a Saturday, and I'm just minding my own business, hanging with my family. And I had a pastor friend from North Carolina just text me and say, hey, the President's out there hustling your book. I'm like, what are you talking about? So he sends me a screenshot. I'm like, did this really happen? So, yeah, it was pretty crazy. How did it happen? So I did this. So uh, interestingly, you know, Fox, uh, Fox contacted the publisher and wanted to do a special uh, on Fox Nation about the book uh, for Christmas, which is their streaming platform. So they flew me out to New York, and I f- we filmed in St. Patrick's Cathedral. And then they, they ran it, and they ran an article on it. And the host, Ainsley Earhart, had tweeted about the special, and Trump retweeted it. So it's pretty wild. Did uh, interest in the book spike? It did. And I, what, what was even better was all my friends texting me, you know? Yeah. And people out of the woodwork, you know, hey, did you see this? So that was fun. Yeah, that, that is great. What's the, tell us about the book. So, you know, I've always loved Christmas. I, I just love this time of year. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm singing Christmas music like in November. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, but yeah. I, I, I just love this time of year. Depends on the Christmas music, I guess. Yeah, and I, I've always loved uh, the narratives in Scripture, yeah. the characters of Scripture. The Bible is so rich with these characters, and the Christmas story has these characters that we've made famous in the last 2,000 years, right? They adorn our Christmas cards, and they, they're around our nativity sets. Um, our kids dress up as them in our Christmas pageants. But, you know, in the first century, these were just ordinary people that were uh, chosen by God to be part of the Christmas story. So I wanted to explore really in depth each of these characters. Well, um, uh, who, are, who are your favorite characters? Man, that's hard. I'm, I'm, it's hard to pick a favorite one. Um, Other than the obvious. But, right, obviously Jesus, right? Yeah. But um, I'm partial to Joseph, I think. Because here, here's a here's a man who you know even today is pretty obscure. I think there's one or two songs written about him, uh, but he was just a faithful, righteous, ordinary carpenter who always did the next right thing. Right. Whenever, whatever the right thing was in front of, even if it was hard and difficult, he did the next right thing, even at tremendous cost. You, you just think about how 
his whole life was upended by by this, right? Yeah. What you know, young man or maybe middle-aged, we don't know, about to get married, probably has all these whatever the dreams were for young men in the first century. All that's all that's done away with, and he's willing to say yes to this very difficult task of being a father to a child that's not his own, a father to the son of God. So, I think he's a great but I mean, I love all the characters, so it's hard to hard to pick one. Yeah, it, pick one. It, the uh, Luke and Matthew mm-hmm. text are so. Uh, first of all, they're unique. Yeah. Uh, but so perfectly complementary. Yes. And uh, to give us a full orbed view of what happened. Uh, do you have a, a? Do you like one better than the other? The Luke versus Matthew. I don't know. I go back and forth. You know, Matthew is making the case. I think that that Christ is King, right? Mm-hmm. He does that from the opening list of names that. This Jesus of Nazareth that all of you likely knew about, that was crucified by the by the Romans, he's the rightful son of David. He he belongs on the throne, which is a real bold statement to make. And even in the list of names, he includes women and four women that kind of had checkered pasts. That's right. Um, and then, but I love the way he contrasts kings. So you have Jesus is the king. Yet Herod is this kind of king. Mm-hmm. And then you have these three men, not kings, but there's a contrast. You know, the three kings from the east, if you will, uh, leave all their power and privilege aside and worship Jesus. Herod is threatened by Jesus and commits violence. And then Jesus, of course, the king who will reign forever. So Matthew's Matthew is really rich, but so is Luke, because Luke has a lot of detail, like, we only know, for instance, that there was no room in the inn because Luke put that there, and I don't think he—I don't think he did that just incidentally. I think he put that there on purpose. Well, I agree. I don't think there's any superfluous yeah. scripture. I think it's all there very yeah. purposefully. Um, I'm, so I know this sounds really weird, mm-hmm. but Herod is one of my favorite. Uh, historical figures to yeah. study, mm-hmm. and I've been to basically all the Herodian sites. I've mm-hmm. never been. I've never been to Machaerus, his mm-hmm. palace, where John the Baptist ultimately was beheaded. But uh, I've been to all of his other palaces, and I, I've read everything I can read on Herod. It's one of the truly most fascinating characters in history because you can explain why he's a great soldier, and he was. Mm-hmm. He, you know. If all you know of Herod is from Matthew or the, mm. the New Testament, you know, you're just going to have the one view. And he is. He's a murderous, right. megalomaniacal, uh, crazy man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he's one of the most architectural, oh, yeah. uh, astute uh, builders in history. His yeah. What he did to the landscape is still there. Yeah, the I'm way sti- he pioneered water management of uh, the aqueducts. I mean, you, if you go in the Judean wilderness mm-hmm. today to St. George's Monastery, you can see snaking through the Judean hills the aqueduct that Herod, Herod built to bring water yeah. to Jericho yeah. 2,000 years ago. It's yeah. still in use. It's just uh, stunning what he did. Uh, and you read uh, when you read about his life, the, the absolute terror that he lived in of being supplanted, mm-hmm. killed his own wife, his mm-hmm. own sons. Uh, Caesar uh, Augustus, Augustus famously says of him, I'd rather be Herod's pig right. than his right. son. Uh, 
And you can imagine when Herod has done everything he can to maintain his own position, and then these guys show up on his door going, they ask the question that would be the most troubling question you could ask Herod, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Right. Because Herod's not born king. Right. Uh, Herod, and he knows that. Yeah, he, he politically maneuvers to become king. Yeah. Jesus is born king, and Matthew showing that is really astounding to me. Yeah, and it's and I think it also shows us a little bit about power, too, because everyone in Jerusalem, Herod thought he was the real power in Jerusalem, and everyone in Jerusalem was fearful of him. Yeah. But the real power was that baby that fled to Egypt with his family. What Herod doesn't understand is that um, he's just one in a long line of antichrists who have risen up against God throughout the ages. Really a fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis 3 that the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent will violently clash through the ages, but that a child will be born of a woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And really, we only know Herod today. We do from some of his architectural stuff, but most of the world only knows him because of the story of Jesus, right? Right. So, I mean, isn't isn't that an interesting... Yeah, and you know, Herod, interesting, he's also, he's by birth, he's an Idumean. Yeah. He's, he's a descendant a, of Esau. Right. He's illegitimate. Not of King. Jacob. Yeah. And so you've got the Jacob and Esau motif going mm-hmm. on there as well. Yeah. Uh, well, fascinating stuff. But uh, having said that about Matthew, I'm partial to Luke. Yeah. Well, I'm listening to your Luke series that you're preaching through. And I do love the Luke narrative for a few reasons. I love talking about Zechariah. And Elizabeth. That's such a rich story because here, you know, God had not spoken for what, 400 years, no prophets, no angels. And then Gabriel shows up in the temple and, uh, you know, Zechariah, who's a righteous man, is like, how's this going to happen? And I I love Gabriel's response is Gabriel's like, dude, I'm here. I only show up. I am Gabriel who stand in the presence of the Lord. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. what more of a sign do you need? And and Gabriel, the that's last time we heard from Gabriel is in Daniel. Daniel. So that's yeah. significant. Um, and I also think it, it tells us, too, that God visits his people in their distress. You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth could not have children. They had they prayed the prayer, but they didn't really believe it. They, they, it, they were cynical. Everybody in Israel was cynical. They had yeah. to see that Roman flag flying high and... Um, they believed the promises, but they didn't really believe them. You know what I'm saying? Well, absolutely. I think it's the story of my life. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I ostensibly believe these things, and yet mm-hmm. often when uh, faced with uh, struggles, I I have doubt yeah. and question, how, how, will God really come through? I'm not much better than the Israelites in the wilderness. Yeah. I do think God-giving making Zechariah mute, which would be tough for a prophet or for a priest. Yeah. Was we we view it as a punishment, but I actually think it was a gift. Sometimes God quiets us so we can hear him and, and watch him work. I agree. Uh, it is very difficult to hear God speak when you're in a noisy room. Mm. Yeah. When your life is filled with the din of busyness. And you're exactly right. Zechariah has nine months at least to just simply listen. Yeah. 
to hear God, to hear others. And it's interesting in that uh, the birth narrative of John that they, the neighbors and family members say to Elizabeth, uh, what do you want to name him? And they suggest Zachariah. She says his name, future tense, will be John. Mm-hmm. When they go to Zechariah, they make signs to him. I, I wonder if they're making signs to him just because that's the way you treat people with any kind of a yeah a, a disability like you think they can't hear too, or if he was also hard of hearing. I don't know. But they made signs to him. What do you want to name him? And he writes, present tense, his name is, is John. John. Yeah. And that's when God opens his mouth. And the Benedictus, his song. Is, oh, it's so beautiful. It is the rich history of God's yeah. redemption of his people. I mean, that's one of the things about Christmas that I just love. It's such a multifaceted diamond. And you think of all the, all the creativity that has come out of the story, right? Even in the Bible, the, the prayers of uh, Zechariah, the prayers of Mary, the prayers of, you know, like, it's just really incredible. And I think throughout the church history, you know, some of our best literature, some of our best uh, sermons yeah. have come from that story. Do you enjoy writing? I really do, yeah. And you've written how many books? So this is my eighth book. Eighth book. Yeah. I've always liked writing. I mean, ever since I was like in junior high, I had a teacher say, you know, I think I think you can do this. You know, I don't know if you had someone in your life who just says, you know, when you're in that vulner- that yeah. kind of impressionable age, here's something I actually think you can, you're good at. And so I just took that and ran with it. That's that's fantastic. That shows the power of a teacher. Yeah, how much difference a teacher makes. Uh, but you also preach. I do preach. I do enjoy it. Yeah. Tell them. Tell me about your role at your church. So I pastored for almost six years in Chicago area, and then uh, when I came here to ERLC, um, and then not long after I came here, uh, Green Hill Church in Mount Juliet, which is east of town here, about uh, fifteen miles. Uh, I'm an associate pastor, so I'll preach. You know, once every uh, several weeks, uh, which is great. And, um, I really enjoy preaching. So I miss, I do miss preaching every week, to be honest. Do you get to travel and preach much? A little bit. Yeah. I try not to be gone on Sundays as much with our kids. Cause you know, there's something about going to church with your family. Oh. That's really formative. I think Absolutely. For, for our kids. Absolutely. And how many children do you have? So we have four kids. My oldest is 15 uh, or will be 15 probably by the time this airs. And then my youngest is eight. So uh, three girls and a boy. Wow. So we got a full full house, a fun house. You've been married how long? 17 years. Yeah. Uh, and your wife's name is? My, her, Angela. Angela. Yeah. And how did the two of you meet? So it's a long story and kind of funny. Um, and I don't recommend this for, for young men, by the way. So I was uh, on staff at a church in Chicago area. And... She came, she had graduated from Stephen F. Austin University in Texas, got a teaching degree. She And then she had gone to Germany to live as an au pair for about a year. Um, and she started feeling the Lord calling her back into ministry. She's watching Charles Stanley over there and just felt convicted, like, I need to come back to ministry. So she found our church, which had a kind of a preschool and a, and a, and a school there. And so she, she didn't, yeah, she eliminated every other place and decided to come to ours, which is really, really kind of funny. Really kind of providential. Yeah. And so she came and we didn't really, we were friends, but we kind of, I wasn't interested in her right away. 
um, she kind of blew in from Texas. She was very energetic. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> but then um, I had a pastor friend of mine say, man, you should ask her out. And I'm like, I don't know. So I finally worked up the courage to ask her out. The way I asked her out is uh, not something I'd recommend for young young men. We were both on staff at this church. And instead of going up to her in person and saying, hey, would you would you go out for dinner with me? I left her a voicemail on our company voicemail. And I, and I also asked her to kind of keep it low key. Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is, she still went out with me. Uh, that's, well, then that's God's you know grace. It's of the Lord. Yeah. So we've been married for 17 years. She's great. She, um, very disciplined, loves the Lord, very godly, uh, great wife and mom. And she teaches women at her church and young women as well. So I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate to have her. So tell me what your writing process looks like. You enjoyed it. Do, do you set aside regular time? Yeah, if I'm writing articles, you know, those I try to piece in when I have time because those don't take as long. When I'm doing a book project, you know, I, you know, chapters are harder to write, take longer. I try to take, typically I try to take Fridays, you know, and sometimes a little bit of Saturday to write. Um, I try to do a lot of reading beforehand before I go into a book project and then organize all my notes and then I kind of have all that. But, you know, there's really no substitute for just sitting down and, and doing the work. I mean, I love writing, but it is work, it right? It is work. Yeah, even things you love are work. Um, and, you know, when you're writing a book, there's a kind of a process where you get a great idea, you, you pitch it to the publisher, they like if they like it, um, and then they give you a contract, and then you're excited about it. Then you're like, oh, I actually have to write this thing. Great. And then you start doing it, and you're feeling good about it. About halfway through every single book, I don't know if you have this, you feel like a total, like an idiot. Like, why am I even doing this? Who am I to write this book? Tim Keller's already written it, and it's way better. Herschel York's already written one, it's way better. But you kind of have to push through that, and then, and then you finish. So it, it, it's an interesting process do you enjoy preparing do you uh, uh, maybe you shouldn't even compare them but do you how do you feel about writing versus preparing for preaching I think they're similar which is why I think I can I'm a little bit more efficient so um you know when I'm writing when I'm preparing a sermon you know it's not as tight as a chapter right because right, no right. one no one talks like we write that's right um, so it's one a of the, and let me just interject. One of the, my main teaching points for my students is don't preach like a writer. Right. That's you exactly know? right. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're two different media. So when I write a sermon, now I manuscript my sermons because for me, uh, I feel comfortable up there if I have it all up there with me. Um, but it, I write it much looser. I write it for my voice. You know, I'll put things in there that you would never put in a book. Right. And, uh, now it's hard to take sermons and go and make those into a book, at least for me. I feel like I always have to kind of rewrite it. I might have some of the research and content there, but right. you just kind of have to. That's right. You're going to write it differently than you say it. Yeah. You know, in, in oral communication, you can repeat words. Right. Kind of thing, but you don't want to do that. You don't have the same word three times in a yeah. paragraph when you write. Yeah. You know, and unless there's some specific reason right. to do it. Right. It's a, it's a very different medium. I do think 
being a writer has helped me in one sense, though, that when I'm up there, I'm kind of self-editing. You know, you have a manuscript, but then you're as you're going, you're like, oh, I've said that too many times. Or, right, yeah. I'm not going to say this. Or This looked good on the page, but when you're up there, it doesn't communicate. So tell me what writers you like to read and what preachers you like to listen to. Um, man, that's that's tough. I mean, I, I love Tim Keller's work. I've read most of his stuff. Uh, C.S. Lewis, Philip Yancey is a great writer. Philip Yancey's a great writer. He's a wordsmith. Um, I like Max Licato. I mean, I think a lot of guys will look at Max Again, and say he's writing fluff. He's a great writer. And I think some of the time with people like Max, it's not that he's writing fluff. It's that he's such a good writer that communicates that it seems that way. So he's just a good wordsmith. Yeah. Um, I like reading a lot of sports writing. Um, I love history. So, I mean, my leisure time is reading presidential biographies or American history or church history. Uh, so that's that's the kind of things I like to read. Uh, and then, obviously, theology and, and all that. Preachers? Yeah, that you listen to. Um, I mean, growing up, I the first preachers that really got my attention... So I grew up in Chicago, so I listened to Moody Radio. Mm-hmm. So I heard Adrian Rogers. Uh, Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll will do these character profiles. Absolutely. Of Joseph and David that we would pass around the tapes. And I was like, wow, this is like, you can preach like this. This is amazing. Um, as I've gotten older, I think my favorite exegete might be D.A. Carson. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love listening to his sermons. Uh, I studied with him for a year. I like your sermons. I like listening to you as you're going through Luke. Um, it, you know, I like Tony Morita. He's a great preacher. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Charlie Dates, Alistair Begg. There's a number of preachers. Yeah, number we of have preachers very there. similar tastes then because those, those yeah. are the guys that I like to listen to as well. Yeah, and there's a there's something, there's teaching and there's preaching, right? And I and I appreciate both, yeah. but there's a preaching, an exhortation, when you're you're leaning into the listener to the people you're preaching to that, you, you know that's what makes preaching I think distinct from any other kind of well, and especially in the pastoral relationship, man, there's a mm-hmm. I preach at Buck Run like I preach nowhere because right. I love these people. I'm I going can tell through that. life with these mm-hmm. people. I mean. Just before we started this recording, I got a text message. Mm. One of the best ladies in my church went home to be with the Lord mm. just minutes ago. Mm. When I stand to preach in my pulpit, we're all going through this together. And there is a vitality, yeah. a reality to what you're preaching. It's not like being a conference preacher and dropping in somewhere, which I love to do. Yeah, and love to You're hear. You're exactly right. There's something about the daily or the weekly rhythms of the church life that it's a shepherd, man. Yeah, it's being a shepherd. and I can tell a pastor who's been with his sheep. Yeah. Like when I, even if I listen to a podcast, I can just tell that he's been with his people. He knows his people. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, every pastor has to be a preacher, right? But yeah. every preacher is not a pastor. And well, you can tell. That's true. And and I see myself uh, not as a preacher who shepherds, but a shepherd who preaches. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's uh, that's just the, the value that I hold as a pastor. Yeah. 
frankly, I think it's what has enabled me to be at Southern as long as mm-hmm. I have. I love being in the classroom. I am not wired to do it exclusively. Mm-hmm. I need I need to be in a church and then taking that experience into the classroom with me. You know, there's something about the rhythms of church life. You know, I've been going to church my whole life, and I still look forward to Sundays. I mean, I just, there's something about that rhythm of being with the same people over a long period of time, walking with them, growing with them, the messiness of it, you know, uh, I, you know, I just think it's so, it's so It's so good to hear you say that because, you know, people, most people's acquaintance with you would be through your books, Mm -hmm. your role with the ERLC, which is a ministry to churches and Mm -hmm. all that, but Man, as as uh, members of this denomination, uh, we're both part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I want our denominational leaders to be plugged into the local mm-hmm. church. I mean, that it's it vital. is about the local church. You can you can lose that, and sometimes when I read some national leaders, I don't sense that they are around ordinary, regular Christians. Mm-hmm. I mean, because let's face it, the 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 Church of Jesus Christ is built mainly of just ordinary Christians who are not, don't have platforms and aren't famous, are just being faithful around the world. And so I can tell when leaders have gotten away from that. I don't know if you can. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation a few years ago with a, a speaker, really gifted guy, and I just said, hey, tell me about where you go to church. And he was like, well... Don't really, I'm not really plugged in because I'm speaking on Sundays all the time. And I'm like, how can you equip the church if you're not part of a church? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I would argue that you can't. Yeah. I mean, Jesus sort of left us a plan. Right. And it's the local church. And I just don't think you can be divorced from the local church and really be serving God's people faithfully. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is so very, very important. So what do you do for with the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission? So I'm Vice President of Communications. So I manage our communication team, all of our content and all of our everything that we do there. Uh, and I kind of serve on the uh, executive cabinet where we're kind of d- making decisions about the organization and in our, in our future. And really, for people that don't know what the ERLC does, we really say that our, our mission is twofold. Uh First, we represent or we speak on behalf of Southern Baptists in the public square. So we have an office in Washington, D.C. We're regularly interacting with the administration and with Congress and in the courts and trying to represent Baptists on religious liberty and sanctity of human life, international religious freedom, a variety of issues that the SBC has asked us to to speak to. But then we also speak to Southern Baptists. We try to equip pastors and church leaders how to, you know, think through cultural issues uh, with with the gospel. You know, how do we apply the gospel to all these cultural issues uh, in a very, you know, confused culture that we live in? What do you think are the, the big issues that Christians need to be thinking about over the next 10 years? What yeah, are I mean, the things we need to be aware of? I think... You know, first of all, at the top of the list, obviously, is the gender confusion, sexual revolution. Uh, Increasingly, even our Christian kids are having questions about these things. 
you know, what is the, the Bible is increasingly at odds, the, the biblical sexual ethic is increasingly at odds with, with the world. And so I think that's, but I think on top of that is just, you know, for American Christians, I don't think we're used to yet of what it means to, you know, to follow Jesus means that we're going to be at odds at some point with the prevailing culture. You're not going to fit. Right. And, and so that, getting used to having that, you either accommodate or there's two wrong reactions. We either accommodate and change, you know, kind of change the, the Bible to fit the times, or we get in this reactive, angry, angry posture. Right. And I think Jesus calls us to a better way. I also think the tech issues are going to be interesting. You know, technology is both good and bad. There's, there's you know, I think it's going to displace a lot of people. In you think artificial work. intelligence is going to be uh, an issue that the church is going to have to yeah. face and address? I think so. I think there's a lot of promise, right? If, especially in like medical field and other places where it's helping people live more flourishing lives. But I think there's some perils too. Um, and I, And I think you know, sanctity of life issues, human dignity issues, whether it's the unborn, whether it's the elderly and everything in between. So I think those are the and, – and really I think one of the, the big issues we're going to have to think about is we're an increasingly polarized society. And how do we live in and among people that we disagree with? Yeah. You know, there's so much pressure to just be fighting all the time to make our politics, our religion, and just – you know, how do we live – uh, in communities with people who radically disagree with us. I think that's going to be an issue. The narrative of hate gets stuck on us a lot. Yeah. And I think the only way to answer that is to open our homes mm-hmm. and our lives and, yeah. and love people so well that no one can say right. honestly that we hate them right? because we are so open to them and care about them so, so much. And, uh, that just has to be the way that we address the world and without backing down at, at all on what we believe. Right. That's... Well, I like to end uh, my discussions with what I call a twinkling of an eye around. Just ask some yes. quick questions and uh, get your answers to it. But you feel free to take as long as you want. But uh, let me just uh, have at it, all right? All right. All right. What book should all preachers read? Man. That's a tough one. Man, I want to say the preaching books, you know, John Stott, Between Two Worlds. Yeah, that's just so It's important. just a classic. Also, Spiritual Leadership by Jaswald Sanders. You know, I, I'm not, I don't read a ton of leadership books. I think a lot of them are, are pretty much the same. Yeah. But that one is one that holds up in terms of what does spiritual leadership look like. I, I agree. Uh, do you have a sugar stick sermon, like one that you parachute in um, the moment you could preach? It depends, you know. Uh, I preached lately. It's been one I've been preaching from Genesis, uh, where Jacob is wanting to to go home. You know, make his final. You know, he wants like when he dies, them to take him home, his bones yeah. home. And I just think there's a lot there in terms of our longing for home and what that looks like. Um, but it, it kind of changes. I don't know about you. If, if your 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 yeah, favorite does. one changes, you know. Yeah, it, it does. But it's fun. This many years later, like I had when I, when I was in seminary, mm-hmm. I traveled all over Mississippi, Tennessee, Arkansas, mm-hmm. preaching. And actually, you know, so I'm in my twenty late twenties, there are a couple of sermons I preached then that still hold up. 
Yeah. I can still preach them today, and that's... There's another sermon I'd like to do from the first line of the Lord's Prayer about our Father who art in heaven, uh-huh. and just what it means that we get to pray to God as our Father, that he's in heaven, the seat of authority. I think there's there's a lot there. Yeah, it's so. fun. Uh, to the, to what extent does your wife critique your preaching? Um, I mean, we have good conversations. She's She doesn't critique it that much, but we'll have... You know, if I say something out of line, she'll definitely say, ah, you may want to rethink that. She does it in a really... She does it in a really good way, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I like that. She She is very... What I like about Angela is that she supports me and really supports my ministry, but also brings me down to earth in a way that's healthy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, because your wife sees sees all your flaws. You know, about two, three months ago, I tweeted something. I subtweeted somebody, which nobody would know what I was saying unless you were. And she's like, she was on me for like three days, like. And I was defending it. I'm like, no, I was just trying. She's like, what were you thinking when you did that? You were thinking of somebody. Was that the right, wisest thing? So she finally broke me down. I was like, yeah, prob- probably a mistake. As Charlie Date said, it's amazing how often our wife's voice sounds like the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes. And the older I've gotten, I've just learned to stop, you know, to, to listen and be like, oh, she she keeps saying this. She's she's right. She's probably right. As much as I don't want to admit it. <laughs> uh. Do you have a favorite store? Favorite store? Yeah, like a hardware store. Or like you like do Sam's, uh, Costco. Is there? Place? I mean, she does most of the grocery shopping. I I love bookstores. You like bookstores? I mean, um, you know whether it's Barnes and Noble, uh-huh. but I like used bookstores. There's a great used bookstore here in Nashville called McKay's, which is great. You can actually take books and they'll buy your old books and then you can get credit. And they have. An amazing selection. Uh, so I could be in a bookstore for hours, you know. Check it out. Even though I, I have way too many books. Yeah, but. I've got to check that out. Uh, favorite vacation spot? Man, we like the beach, wherever that is. So we've gone to Florida. We've gone to South Carolina. Um, we like to travel. I mean, we've been to Israel several times. I mean, I love Israel. Uh, not for vacation necessarily, more of a tour. Yeah. But, it's. Uh, it's I like Europe. Uh, I like to to go more there but any place you've never been that you if you could go here's where i'd go yeah i i've believe it or not i've never been to uh to london and i have always wanted to go there and do all the history and yeah it's i hear you guys talk about going there and i'm yeah it's stunning getting fomo when i hear y'all talk about it yeah it's one of uh it's just one of the best places to go the history is just absolutely amazing uh and uh favorite car you have a Man. dream car? Uh, probably. I mean, a dream car would be like a, like a, uh, probably a Porsche would be cool, but that's yeah. more of a pipe dream. Maybe in the New Jerusalem, I'll yeah, have a Porsche. You, you know, maybe that'd be one of the many things he'll make you ruler over. Exactly, I'll take it. <laughs> well, Dan, I appreciate your ministry immensely. It is well, a joy you. to me to uh, to consider you a, a friend. And I thank God for you and the way he's using you. I, I pray many blessings upon you as you continue to serve the Lord. And so thanks for being with me today. I'm Pastor Well. I appreciate it Well, thanks much. for having me, and I appreciate you and your preaching ministry and really Southern, the way Southern has 
shaped me in so many ways. Well, I, I've got to get that in, by the way. You're a graduate. I'm so. a grad. I'm a Southern grad. And uh, a proud Southern grad. I came back as an adult, you know, you know, four kids and everything and studied. And it was just such a blessing. And uh, what what did Southern Seminary do for you? Well, Southern, what, what I love about Southern is that um, just the faculty is just amazing. And, you know, I grew up in the church, and you think you know the Bible. I've studied the Bible. But being able to study uh, in a concentrated way. And one of the things seminary does, it does teach you theology and give you the basic parameters that you need. But it also teaches you how to learn yeah, for the rest of right. your life. And so you're reading comprehension, who to read. It also teaches you to wrestle with some of those things in a, in a, in a really responsible way to, to think well. Um, and so I, I, Southern really helped open my, my mind, just the teachers and well, everything. we're proud you're a graduate, man, I'll tell you. Well, thanks, uh, Dan, darling, for being with us today on Pastor Well, and thanks to all of you who tuned in. If you've not yet subscribed, please make sure you do so on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an ep episode. I look forward to seeing you again next time on Pastor Well. <laughs>